0: Welcome to the Sandhills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right, if you have your Bibles handy, go ahead and open up today to 1 Samuel chapter 5, 1 Samuel chapter 5 today. We're going to have some fun uh, with us today, I think. Um, of course, in the midst of all this, this is all real. So it's like, it's, it's funny to read about, I suppose, in some ways now, a couple thousand years removed, uh, and so long as you're on the right side of the Lord. But um, if you lived this moment or you're on the wrong side of the Lord, this is kind of scary stuff that we're going to talk about. All right, so as you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 5, just a few things to remember. Uh, We are 900 plus years B.C. as we study this. Israel has been in a really bad state um, politically and spiritually. Not just the people, but the leadership has been bad. And God is starting a new thing with this generation that we're reading about here and he's going to be doing that through his prophet Samuel, but work. The work began in godly parents, and so his uh, uh, godly father Elkanah and mother Hannah, uh, they had the son. They devoted to the Lord, and he has uh, been raised up in the presence of the Lord. And now some great things are going on in his life. But we've paused on talking about Samuel at this portion of the story. He has vanished from the story a bit, uh, and he'll be growing up, spending some years growing up, and we'll be visiting another part of the story as we go on here. So to set so so that chapter five makes sense, you have to understand how we got here. And so let's back up to what we talked about in chapter 4. So preceding the events of chapter 5, there was a battle. So Israel had gone out to battle, and what they wanted to do was they wanted to fight the preeminent power in their land, and that was the Philistines. And uh, if you've been around the Bible, any at all, you've heard of the Philistines. The Philistines were the really bad people who had come. They'd invaded. They'd taken over. They were the military presence. They had kept Israel in subjection, and uh, they were the dominant people. And so Israel decides they're going to go to battle. They go to battle. The first skirmish they have, uh, they lose 4,000 soldiers. And so they're discouraged by this. They go back. But there's something about the way the battle went that made them feel like this isn't just a, like an army thing. This is, this is a God thing. And it feels like maybe God was fighting against us. And so they're asking the question, why did God not allow us to win? Or why did God work against us? And so uh, after this meeting, they decide, well, here's what we can do. Let's take his box, <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, let's, and, which they feel is him. Like they, they feel the Ark and God are connected. Uh, and so they think, well, let's just do this. Let's just take him to battle with us, and then we'll be victorious over the Philistines. And so they take the Ark of the Covenant. They march it out all the way from Shiloh, where it's stored, some 15-ish miles uh, to where they're going to be fighting this battle somewhere around a a lost city now called Ebenezer. They go out there. They're going to fight this battle, and the battle goes horrible, and they lose now 30,000 soldiers. So they've lost 34,000 soldiers over this. The Ark of the Covenant gets captured by the Philistines. They take it. The two priests that had kind of been part of taking it out there, the sons of the high priest, um, Eli's the high priest. His two sons... Hophni and Phinehas, they took it out there. They're slaughtered in battle. And then when the news reaches back home, the high priest Eli hears about it uh, and then has a tragic accident and he dies. And then his daughter-in-law, who's married to his son Phinehas, uh, has a horrible uh, delivery of a child that goes awry and then she dies. And so... Now, just a nightmare going on, and and the news has just dejected the people. One of the things I brought up last week is, do you think God is worried about his reputation? That is, if he doesn't come through for his people, will opposing armies and countries think that he is a weak God? And then we talked about last week that God's not worried about his reputation. He's worried about his people. He wants his people to be holy and submitted to him. Um, But... When it comes time for God to flex, he can flex. And so, uh, if, and if you're sitting there going, I don't know what you mean by that. Oh, well, let's read chapter five. All right, so we're going to go to chapter five, and we're just going to start off with this uh, headline, so to speak. Our God is superior. Our God is superior. Absolutely. One of the struggles the Israelites had, and if we're not careful, one of the struggles we have is that we can take God too lightly. Even his own people can take him too lightly. And so a warning as we go forward is don't take God lightly. And that would be a a message that we should have gotten to the Philistines, but it is too late. They had to learn it the hard way. All right, so here we are, starting in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon, and they set it up beside Dagon. Alright, so let's do this. Do we have our map? Can we pull a map up? I think this would be fun. Alright, so we're going to start uh, on this tour. So uh, just to be fair, the ark is about to go on tour. Like a lot of people are going to see it. You're probably thinking yourself, I would love to see the ark of the covenant. I'm not so sure you would, but let's just, let's just start with this. So northeast, we have Shiloh. That's where it's housed in the Tent of Meeting. That's where Eli is the high priest uh, and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, serve. This is where everybody's coming from with the ark. So they travel. The ark travels. They have to carry it on poles. You've seen Indiana Jones. They have to carry it on poles, uh, and they go to Ebenezer, this lost city near Aphek, uh, which is part of uh, Philistia. And so they go there, they lose the battle where the little asterisk is on the map, and then the ark is taken from there, and they take it down, you can follow the line, they go down to Ashdod is where this is going to end up. And so this is where we are on our journey, we're going to pause there, we are now in Ashdod. Now the Philistines would assume, which makes sense, that because of their victory, that their God is superior to Yahweh, that, you know, oh, hey, look, our God, Dagon, came through for us, Uh, he's more powerful now we possess the ark. And so they're taking the ark and they're marching it back and they're gonna put it uh, among their goods. So that it says here they put it beside Dagon in the house of Dagon. And so they, they wouldn't have referred to it as like a church, but maybe a temple or even if for them it's a tent as well. Uh, they march it in there. But either way, however it's set up, they have uh, Dagon is this um, idol that represents their God and it's a statue of some sort. And then they put the ark of God next to it. Now I wish we could see the setup. We can't really see the setup. We'll have to picture it as we go forward. I'll try to unpack it for us. Um, but, but here's one thing to keep in mind so when people deal with false gods, fake gods, which is every other god but our god, they have no experience with what our real god can do, the rest of the stuff they deal with is make believe, and so they haven't put all the pieces together yet, but make-believe on superstitious people can be very powerful. And, um, and so they're superstitious, but they believe in something that isn't real. So when all this turns a different direction, they are not going to be prepared for what comes at them. But let's at least uh, talk a little bit about this uh, god Dagon, uh, or if you're Southern, it's pronounced Dagon. Uh, so... Here they are with Dagon. Dagon uh, historically was thought to be maybe some sort of uh, fish god or something like that. That's not the case. Um, They think now that maybe he was a god of uh, fertility, weather, vegetation, something like that. Either way, powerful God doesn't really matter. In their minds, powerful God. Um, so you've heard of the Baals, right? So uh, people would worship Baal. He was a false god uh, that many people worship. He was a horrible guy. So Baal supposedly is Dagon's son, which means Dagon is more powerful. He is the, he's the superior. He's the father of even Baal himself. Um, And so here's another thing. If you read the book of Judges, you remember Samson. Even if you didn't read the book of Judges, you're familiar with Samson. So Samson is the beast of a guy, super strong, and he takes it for granted and marries some woman he never should have married, and she cuts off his hair, and then he's powerless, and he's captured, and they put his eyes out, and then, you know, all this nasty stuff's going on in his life. Uh, But then while he's blinded and bound and, and treated as a slave, his hair begins to grow back, And he gets to a point where, blinded, uh, and um, they're marching around as a slave, they bring him to a temple uh, where they're having a festivity. And while he's there, if you remember, he leans against the pillars, and he prays, Lord, give me strength, and he shoves the pillars over. The temple collapses. Mass casualties incur, right? You remember the story? That was the temple of Dagon. So... That's, you know, a little bit of story there, a little bit of history. That's what he destroys. So there is some connection here with all of this. Now, uh, before we go further, let's talk about something else in the story. So according uh, to how the Bible lays this out, so the Philistines lived in uh, Philistia, and it was comprised of what they call the Pentapolis, uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but anyway, the Pentapolis, Pentapolis, it's composed of basically five key cities that make up the region of Philistia. Um, now, you that's not just anecdotal, uh, like, oh, isn't that interesting? It's going to mean something before we're done. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Five key cities, Right? right? We'll come back to that. It'll make sense before we're done here. So, okay. So now they've gotten the Ark of the Covenant. They take it back home. What do we do with this thing now? Well, you know what? Let's just add him to our God. We got our God here. Let's just put him in the same place that our God is, and we're going to set him up there together. So now you have the, the statue of, of Dagon. He's standing there, and you have the Ark of the Covenant, which they have placed now in their holy area, their temple, their tent, whatever it would be. That's where it is. All right, so there's our setup. Now let's go forward. Let's see what happens in verse three. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. Well, let's, just, let's just pause there and think about that for a little bit. So let's imagine you're a priest in this uh, place or some sort of holy man, And you minister to the people and um, you've set this up. Maybe you help place the the thing that you put the ark there. There's your God. And I would love to see a picture of the statue because I think this would be fun. I would love, in my head, you've got this larger than normal human life statue, arms like this in, in, in my head. You can picture however you want to. And you can make up your own. It's all pretend at this point because we don't know. But anyway, so you got this thing. They set it there. And so the next day you come in, this thing is face down on the ground in front of the ark how long do you think it would take you to figure out what you're seeing there? Like, you walk in as a holy person, you're like, what's happening here? You're like, I don't, does, how many people have seen this? Is it just us? Like, what's going, okay, you know what? And so they, go, they have to go lift the God, and I love the idea that they have to do the one, they're the ones who have to pick him up and put him back which to me is a picture of the falseness of these, these other gods, is that they have no power except the power that humans give them, right? Uh, our God has his own power, but, but they're powerless. You know, here's this God, like, you know, little help here, help. And so they go, they stand him back up. They put him back in his place. They're like, okay, good. I hope nobody saw that. In fact, I do love the phrasing here. It says when they, they go in, they take him, and he fell on, uh, on the ground. So they took Dagon, they put him back in his place. So the idea that, that humans put their God in his place when I would argue that God just did that. God has put him in his place. So here we are. And, uh, and, 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 it, and I, I think at some point, as a minister in this cultish worship, that you would at some point walk home and really think about this. Like in real time, you walk in, you do this, you put him back up. Like you have to be leaving there going, this is weird. This is really weird. But you never know. I mean, maybe... Maybe there were tremors in the middle of the night. Maybe a little mild earthquake, you know? Maybe maybe something happened. Maybe somebody bumped into him, you know? Like we don't we don't know. You know like we got animals walking around. And stuff. you know it could be anything. Anyway, we have order again. Things are good. We go back home. Verse 4. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. and this is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. All right, so now you're the same priest. you walk in day two. What is your thought as you, as you walk in and you, you walk in and you're like, "Oh, he killed him. Oh my gosh, you know like he's he straight up killed our God. Like, like, there's no doubt whatsoever something horrible has happened here now. This is no more mistake. This is not an accident. Nobody bumped into this. This is a nightmare. This God's real. This God is absolutely, like, all these things that would be going through your head, that's what's going on right now. You walk into the scene, and you can't believe what you're seeing there. And, and let's just say this. God's just getting warmed up, right? <laughs> this is just a preview of what's to come. Now, let's pause for a second as we're Christians. So we're Christians, we're reading this, many of us are. I know not everybody here is probably submitted to Christ, but you're you're a Christian, you're reading this, and your first thought probably is a bit celebratory. You know, like, that's right. That's what happens when God shows up, right? You're starting to get a little, uh uh-huh, yeah, it's our God, our God. Okay, let's remember, the Israelites took God too lightly. They were God's people. Is there ever a chance... That we take God too lightly. That we really like when he shows out against other people, brings judgment, condemnation. Let us all remember that we deserve judgment as well. And so just as we celebrate, and we should, this is going to be a fun time as God continues to flex here. Let's just remember our God is holy. He is all powerful. And we are his children by privilege, by grace, uh, because of what Christ has done for us. Um, So anyway, we can celebrate, but just keep that in mind as we go forward. All right. Let's see what happens now, verse six, verse six. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. All right, so it's never a good thing I'm supposed to be terrified and afflicted by God. And here's the thing, too. These are summary statements. We don't know all that God was doing. We don't know how he's terrifying them. But, But here's the idea. No mistaking, everybody knows who's to blame for this. <laughs> they all know this is the Hebrew God that has come here. Because since the Hebrew God got here, everything has fallen apart. Like, the connection is so clear. Like, life is going along. We're totally normal. Everything's, you know, it's, it's normal life. We go have this battle. We win. Great victory. We're partying. Woo-hoo. We bring their God in. Our God is superior. Their God is inferior. woohoo! You know, Dagon's the man. And then all this stuff starts to happen. And Dagon's dead. <laughs> like, so, like this Hebrew god killed Dagon. Like, the idea that we have to make again another statue because this box killed it. I mean, this is like a nightmare, right? So here they are. No mistake at all. There's this horrible stuff that's going on here. Now, before we're done with this chapter, we're going to hear a mention of death that's involved in this, that God is actually bringing death to the people. A deathly panic is upon the people. By the time you get to chapter six, not to spoil things, but you'll hear some mention of mice that will be involved. Um, And so there is some suspicion that perhaps what God has really brought about uh, is a plague and perhaps even the bubonic plague, uh, which was associated with rodents uh, in the Middle Ages. Um, And so what's fun, I suppose, I don't know if it's fun. I like when I'm studying stuff, I just like to research stuff. Have you ever researched the bubonic plague all right, if, if you want to have a, a weird afternoon, uh, type in bubonic plague, and then click on images, all right? Uh, so <laughs> first, you're going to see a picture of something you wish you hadn't seen. But then, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look up, and this is totally not connected to the sermon. It's just weird. Look up the outfits that doctors wore during the bubonic plague, you just got to look it up and it is, it is ripe for some sort of horror show. It is. And I'm sure it's already been used, but uh, there you go. So just a little, little tidbit there, uh, but this is going on. But you know, I can't imagine what's going on with the people. Like there's chaos of some sort. God is afflicting them of some sort. We don't know if crops are being destroyed. People are having nightmares. Um, you know, what's going on, whatever's going on. But one thing we do know is that people are starting to develop tumors. And so, you know, people are waking up in the morning and they're like, i got this, I got this lump. Like, I think I've. I think I've got a tumor. And of course, their spouse would probably say, it's not a tumor. But it's like, no, I think I've got a real life. And then they're like, wait, you know, I have one too. And then it's like, not just you, it's all of the, all of the people in your city are developing these tumors. And all of the people, not just in your city, in the region around you are developing the tumors. So something horrible is going on right now in this community. And, and they all know that this is the God of the Hebrews that is afflicting them. So, while I'm studying this, uh, I came across this other thing in a commentary that I'm just going to read to you, and I'll just let it have its own effect. All right, here we go. Uh, One commentary says this, another tradition understands these tumors or swellings as anal ulcers or hemorrhoids. In this case, the Lord strikes the Philistines with dysentery, which produces anal sores, (laughs) <laughs> this is nasty. I mean, and this is happening in every home of Ashdod and its territory. So uh, here's the, whatever medical thing is going on, this is, this is horrible. And, and it has to be. It, it's this idea that God's like, listen, I want to strike you where I know you are most worried. And it would work for us too. Like when you have something, if you, if you woke up tomorrow with a tumor, What's your worry level at that point? I mean, it is maxed out. Now, imagine a day and age when you couldn't go get an ultrasound, and you couldn't go talk to a doctor who specializes in cancer or something like that. You're just like, oh, people who get those die, right? And we all have them. Like, what do you think? You're thinking mass extinction event. That's what you're thinking. Like, this God is not just afflicting us. He is going to kill us all. That's what you're thinking. And so that's what they're trying to process is all of this is going on. And so while the hands of Dagon have been removed, the hand of God is at work. And we are going now from our God is superior by their thinking to now your God is superior. That has to be what they're thinking now. Go to verses uh, 7 and 8. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us for his hand is hard against us, and against Dagon our God. So they sent and they gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, and they said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. All right, so this is, now we're having some fun. So um, So Israel, back when they were initially defeated and 4,000 people were slaughtered, they got back together, they went back to Shiloh in the area, and they were like, let's call together the elders of the Israel so we can figure out what we need to do. The elders of Israel get together, hey, we have this idea, it seems like the hand of God is against us, let's take the ark, let's march him out to battle, he'll fight for us, all right? So now we have kind of this opposite thing happening here, where now they're sitting there going, "Listen, listen, the hand of God is against us now, and we need to get our elders together, and what do you think we should do? And their answer is very simple, This is a nightmare here. Let's relocate the ark. That will do it. That's their thought. So let's bring up the map again. Can we do the map? All right, here we are. So the ark has started in Shiloh. It has traveled, went to Ebenezer, this town that's now lost. They kidnap it, they take it down to Ashdod. And then in Ashdod, they're stricken with this horrible nightmare of stuff going on, and they're like, let's move it inward to Gath. All right, so. Now, we need to talk about just a couple of things. So one is, why would they do that? We don't know, but there is some conjecture that perhaps, if this is some sort of plague connected to rodents, rodents tend to come in um, uh, on ships uh, with shipping goods, Uh, so you know what? Maybe there's something, let's just remove it from the sea area. If we get it inland, maybe that'll be a part of it. We don't know if that's really what's going on, but there's something like, let's move it inland, we're going to take it to Gath. And so they're going to relocate this whole thing, get it inland, move it to Gath. Also, I mentioned that as we're talking about the Pentapolis, the the five most powerful cities um, of of Philistia, uh, we're now making the rounds of the Pentapolis. We're going to come back to that. Uh, We'll unpack that a little bit as we get further on. But the elders have come together. This is what we need to do. I do wonder if anybody gave Gath a heads up, right? (laughs) Did anybody tell them why they're showing up with the ark? I mean, I can just see them. They're rolling in. The ark is there. And for a moment, Gath is like, oh, we're celebrating, right, we captured their God, this is the residence of their God, like, we got it, we get it, you're gonna march around all the territories and show us, like, we are superior, Dagon is superior, like, oh, that's awesome, and they're they're bringing it in, and at some point, maybe somebody said, didn't you just have this, like, why are you bringing it here, and they're like, oh, you know what? I used, we got a lot going on, and you know, like our temple's crazy, we got stuff happening, Dagon's, he needs a lot of room, we don't wanna keep it all there, you know. Thought we'd share the glory, let you guys see this, nice gold box, it's beautiful, you'll like it. you would be like, all right, what's that lump on your neck? i are like, oh, nothing, I, this, this go, I think it's gonna go away. It looks like, You look bad, no, it's good, it's good, we'll see you guys. Why does everybody have lumps? Like, it's not, you know what, it's a fun thing, we're all doing it, but anyway, we're gonna leave the ark with you, and we'll just catch you guys later, you enjoy your life. and so. They're just going to leave at this point. Uh, All right. Well, let's see how it goes now for these people in this new city. Let's go to verse 9. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. All right. So now, this is interesting. So it mentions the men of the city. Now, I don't know if that's a collective, like, like gender neutral, like everybody uh, of the city, or maybe this is more targeted. Maybe God's like, yeah, let me just let them know that I can do specific stuff too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to affect both the young boys and the men, and I'm going to give them all tumors, and people will know this is all connected to me. Either way, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a nightmare happening there. And this one, it seems like, and I don't know because there's not enough details in the story, it seems like maybe things are happening quicker here. I don't know. Maybe a little bit quicker. Things, all this stuff develops quite quickly. And, uh, and Gath is pretty sharp on their decision. Like, they already know this is, something's bad here. And then now you're putting the pieces together. These guys all show up heavily tumored. Like, here, take the ark. It's good for you. And then you take the ark, and it's bad for you. And you're like, they did this to us. And like, we got to get rid of this thing. It's a nightmare. It's happening to all of us. Again, mass extinction event they're processing. Verse 10. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. All right, let's just pause there. All right, let's bring the map back up. This is kind of fun. Uh, bring the map up one more time. So here we are. We've been in Gath. We're gonna go to Ekron. Ekron's, you know, a few miles north. So we're gonna, just, we're gonna get this, put it on the, the crate, and take it up here. Now, I will say this. This is a day and age where they do not have email. They do not have texting. Now, I love texting. So texting, I think, first of all, as a man, it appeals to everything that I like about conversation, and that is very little of it. And so uh, I'm a, a fact guy, I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time, oof, how far do I go? I don't spend a lot of time, like, how are you feeling today? Uh, but if you want to talk about, hey, I need this from you, can you do, like, I'm transactional. I love text. Text can do that. Get right to the heart of what we need. You need something from me. No, you don't need, okay, then why are you texting? So, like, this, I get it. I just, just, I'm my wiring. That's why I married somebody much more sensitive than me. And uh, she's great. She evens me out. Uh, if you have a concern, please talk to my wife. Um, so, mm, I went too far with that one. All right, so, here we are. And they say, like, if, if I want to communicate to somebody, literally. So I had a friend who uh, was serving in the Navy. He was deployed. He was serving, I mean, somewhere like in the Philippine area. If he's down in the Philippines on some ship or something. And I, I wanted to let him know I was thinking about him. I was praying for him. Oh, look, I am caring. Um, uh, I wanted him to know I was thinking about him. So I sent him a little text. Hey, thinking about you, praying about for you, brother. Hope things are going well. And I, I sent the text out, And I'm thinking to myself when he gets to port or something, gets around Wi-Fi, it'll pop up, maybe he'll be encouraged, but he's on the other side of the world, you know, no big deal. So I send the text, boom, put my phone down, immediately, pop, pop, I'm like, I look back, he's like, hey, thanks, brother, appreciate your text. I'm like, I just sent a message to somebody thousands of miles away in an instant. Like, that's the age in which we live, right? That is not the age in which these people live. These people, you wanna get a message to somebody, your best text Would be a pigeon, like you would hope would get there quickly and not get shot down or eaten by some carry on in the the process, right? Like, this is like, I don't know. It takes forever for news to travel. Let me tell you this it doesn't take that long once God starts wiping people out. Uh, that, That news has preceded them before the ark showed up. That has already reached them. So, this is why when we get to what we see in Ekron, it makes sense, all right? So, we get to verse 10, we're reading this. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. So they are already like, it's here to kill us. And nobody's having a good day. Right away. Nobody's having a good day. In fact, it gets worse. So they sent, verse 11, they sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. Now think about this. The ark of God shows up, and as soon as it shows up, deathly panic, and the hand of God is heavy against them instantly. Instantly. Now, this is no slow-cooking kind of God falls down, stands up. Oh, ha-ha, your God's superior, kills your God. Oh, your God is legit superior. You wake up the next day with a tumor, not just you, but everybody and maybe multiple tumors, and you all realize... We're gonna die. This God has targeted us. Move this around. Let's get this to another city. Let's get this out of here. Maybe we'll be delivered from this. And then that city, it begins to happen. This one, by the time it shows up, day one, instant, we're all in panic. And when it says deathly panic, this is not like you and I would use it like anecdotally. Like, oh, there was a deathly panic once we uh, got on that roller coaster. Like, no, it's not that. This means a panic in which death has been occurring. Like some way or another, and we don't know. People are dying already when the ark shows up. This is, this, is, this is a nightmare. Now, it's a nightmare to them. This is just God doing what he does. When you take God too lightly, he's the giver of life, he can be the taker of life. And in this case, I would even say, it's actually a bit of a mercy that he's just striking them with tumors. The tumors, of course, bring them an awareness of their own mortality, because they know when people get these, they just die. They don't have the medical care we have, and even with the great medical care we have, people who get tumors die but but the mercy is that it gives them a pause to say your life is at stake you really need to reconsider what's going on right now it would be my thought that if I'm a follower of Dagon that ship has sailed I At what point do you be like, I'm with that one over there. I don't like this one anymore, and I want what this one wants. Whatever he wants, I want that. Like at some point I would think, in fact, we should have read, and we don't see it, a mass conversion of the Philistines to uh, the God of Israel. That would have been really interesting, but it doesn't really happen. Here we are now. Uh, and so the men who did not die were struck with tumors and the cry of the sitting went up to heaven, which is an interesting comment. And their thought now is your God is terrifying. Your God is absolutely terrifying. Um, and now what they're doing is with the ark, they're just playing a game called hot potato. You probably grew up playing that. You throw things around. Last one, holding it when the timer's got it. Uh, that's the one who's out. That's exactly what's going on here. The Ark of the the Covenant is the hot potato. They're passing around city to city to city. Whoever ends up with it last, they're the ones who are going to be out. They're the ones who are going to die. And so as soon as it shows up in Ekron, they're like, this is crazy. Get the elders together. Do not keep this here. You've got to do something with this. Send it back to its own people. And at this point, I don't even think they're thinking, like, if this is what he's doing, maybe he'll go back there and do it. I think what they're thinking is this. He is against us. Put him back with his own people. If he wants to be with his own people, let them have him. We don't want him anymore. And so they want to get him out of there. So one of the things I was reading here uh, as I was studying this was the idea that, of how armies conquer. So if, if you move in uh, with the military and, uh, and you're thinking of a strategy, one of the strategies you're probably going to have is you're going to hit the main cities of the area that you're attacking, wipe them out. You're not going to worry about the rural countryside as much. Hit those big cities. Take them out. Take control of them. You can kind of work your way around the countryside later. This is kind of what's going on. We talked about the Pentapolis, the the five key cities. Three of them have already been hit. Uh, They were Ashdod and then Gath and Ekron. Those are three of the Pentapolis. That is that God was city by city showing that he is superior. This was a military moving through. But I read another commentator who said this. He said, what if it wasn't that so much? What if it was a victory tour? Like you're on victory, you go on parade, and you let everybody know. And then I thought, and then I was putting it in my own head. I was trying to remember who won uh, the Super Bowl this last uh, this last time. What was it? The, was it the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, the most dominant team in all of the NFL? I think it was them. And, um, and I mean, side note: I am from Kansas City. So um, here, so it would be like this: like you win, like whenever you win, your city wins Super Bowl or World Series, you have a big parade. You, you everybody comes together. You have a parade, but you have a parade in your city. What if after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl? They took their Super Bowl trophy, but now they go to Las Vegas or Los Angeles or Denver, all their uh, opponent cities, and they march around with the trophy. And they're like, hey, hey, not much cheering there. What if they wrap up by taking a little trip to Philadelphia? hey, hey, no cheering there at all. <laughs> like, th- it's like that's what God's doing. God's showing up like the ark. Yeah, you got the ark of the covenant. Hey, look, look, Ashdod. What do you think? Like, no cheering there. Like, Gath. What do you think? You like Mm-mm. Ekron? Get out of here. Like, okay, just victory tour. Victory tour. So this this is kind of like God going around and just kind of flexing to say, I am superior. I am superior. This is this is what I do. This is no longer playtime. And the box just represents God. But the idea is that you don't mess around with the God of the universe. You just don't mess around with the God of the universe. And so now as we reach the end of this, and I'm always thinking about now, how do we apply this to our lives as, as we study this? Because this is not like a therefore now go and do type of thing for us. But one of the things I'm struck with, is it possible that we take God too lightly? And when I say we, I don't just mean we. And I don't mean you just looking at the country going, you know why our country's in such a mess? It's because our people don't honor the Lord. Yeah, our people don't honor the Lord. Our, our nation doesn't honor the Lord. Do we? honor the Lord. Or I wonder sometimes if we follow the Lord for the things we think we can get from the Lord. That is like the idea of salvation, being delivered from my sin in Christ. Like, yeah, amen. We all want that. But I wonder if, I wonder if we connect that to a sense of peace and order in our lives, or if we connect that to material provision in our lives. And when those things don't happen, that we kind of bail on it. Like, oh, I thought you were an all-powerful God, and yet I don't have peace, or I have difficulty, or I've got this horrible disease now myself, or I don't have the stuff that I thought I would have because I followed you, because you, you're, aren't you the guy that has everything, and I can't even, you know, pay my bill, or get a good job, or I can't even keep a relationship, you know, whatever it is, like these things where you're, in like, well, wait, what are you in this for? How are we understanding God? Let's go back to a thought that we need to retain. Our God is superior. Our God is, he is superior to all things, but he's also superior to us. He's not an equal to us. We don't demand from him. We just submit. We just submit. And whatever he wants, that's what's right. So we have to be careful that we don't take God lightly. Israel took God too lightly. The Philistines initially perhaps took God too lightly. By the end, deathly serious. They absolutely are respecting the Lord. They're not submitting to him, but they are respecting him. And so then this is what I was thinking for us how can we make sure that we are not taking the Lord lightly? Okay, well, first, it begins with agreeing with him about what he's articulated about his son, that we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is superior in every way. He is the son of God come to earth. We put our faith in him. We follow him. This is this is how we need to respond to the Lord. But then I would say this, how then can I evaluate if I'm taking God too lightly? Well, maybe one way would be this. Like, are we submitting ourselves to what he has expressed to us? All right? So like he has given us his word. Are we students of his word? Do we submit to his word? I am reminded of the words of James in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And he says this. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so I think James, James would sum it up like this. Like, don't tell me about your faith. Let me watch you, and I'll tell you about your faith. So we are saved by grace through faith. And then as we walk with the Lord subsequent to salvation, there's just a way God wants us to live as his people that reflect him. And I think one of the ways we demonstrate his superiority is when we submit to that. And so, first, I would say to somebody, just, well, just evaluate your life. As you study the scripture, if you're studying the scripture, hopefully you are, um, you understand that you're following the, in the ways that the Lord would have you to follow. But I thought about this too. Maybe there's another expression of this. Maybe this week, and I want to give you one thing to do this week. Maybe this week, remind your body that God is superior in this way. I want you to, if, if you're able, at some point this week, when you go to pray, Choose a posture of submission. Either get down on your knees, get down on your face, and pray before the Lord. Or when you study Scripture, just one time this week when you do it, put it on a chair, you get on the floor, on your knees. And let, here's the thing. It has no bearing on whether your prayer will be heard or whether your study of the Scripture will be more powerful. Like, it's not that. It's just a reminder for you that, that I serve a God who is far superior to me he is my Lord, I am his servant. He is everything, and but by his grace, I am nothing. And just maybe remind yourself of that this week in some tangible kind of way. And finally, let me close with this. The thing that, um, that uh, the Israelites wanted, the things that, um, I mean, before everything went awry, the Philistines wanted was, um, they just wanted to, the awareness of the God, just to know that he was there. You know, the ark is kind of cool, and maybe one day we'll see it in heaven, I don't know. But I would say this, that there's some way in which if you're a believer, you already have all the perks of the ark. You have the presence of God upon you. And that's what the Israelites ultimately wanted anyway. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the reminder this morning of your power, of what you accomplish, of what you do. God, you are so good. But Lord, I do know that there's a danger for us that we too can take you too lightly. And so Lord, if there's any way in our lives that we're doing that, I please you just show us and that we would repent of that, that we would submit to you and that we would follow faithfully. Lord, thank you for this reminder this morning of your power and your holy name, amen.